0: Welcome to Haunted 518. Hello friends, fellow paranormal aficionados. So this episode is kicking off um, the post-ending of all of the towns that we've covered within the 518, the entire geographical area of the 518, and I just had a few topics that I wanted to delve into. So this episode and the next few episodes are going to include guests, they're going to include just topics, you know, that have to do with the area, but not necessarily just the 518, and then might not even have to do with the area itself. But, um... But yeah, they were interesting topics that I wanted to learn more about, so I thought it would be super fun. But again, if you haven't heard um, or you didn't realize, we got through everything in the 518. And I actually had a list of, of I want to say it was like close to like a couple hundred of uh, all the towns, hamlets, cities, it had everything that was considered or used the 518 area code, and I went through it all, um, scoured it, there wasn't even one I skipped over, I checked if there was anything, I did research, and um, all my books and online, all my resources, reaching out, so it's official, we have gone through everything, and if I've missed anything, please let me know, I'm happy to always do a bonus episode, an additional episode, but yeah, this case off the 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 rest of the episodes that I had on my to-do list but friends just a reminder I don't have an unlimited amount so I'm not really sure at this point how many episodes are left I'm thinking between five to maybe 15 somewhere around there and then my plans are actually to kind of move on and let this be what it is and and um, pick potentially something else to to delve into so on that note, I wanted to just go ahead and crack open the beer that I'm going to be drinking for today's episode. So today I'm drinking by Marlowe Artisanal Ales, which is based out of Connecticut. I wish you weren't so awkward, bud. And it is a super soft IPA that is dry hopped with Citra, Galaxy, Columbus, and Strata. Um, and the super soft uh, is what caught my eye on the label. Um, it's good. It's because it's, uh, uh, IPAs can be a little hoppy or a little strong. And I like the, the description of it. And so I thought I'd try it. And it's good. You can't go wrong with it. So um, cheers. So as you can surmise by the title of today's episode, I came across an article that was entitled Cemeteries Used to Be Used, Cemetery Used to Be a Place for Recreation and Fun. Then it all changed and i've actually had to do some research on local cemeteries for some personal things lately and um i was driving by on route four this was over a year ago and i saw a cemetery that just looked really beautiful and it said um it had a historical sign on it referencing something about uh, how it was used for recreation. I thought, I don't know the history of that. I'm not really sure kind of what that even means, but I know we have things like Albany Rural Cemetery, Vale Cemetery that are sprawling and beautiful. Um, but I was like, I wonder if there's anything there. And then I found a bunch. So I thought it would be cool to actually talk about what the heck that actually means. So... The um, up until the early 20th century, cemeteries were a popular place to relax, picnic and get together near a loved one's grave. Almost every major town had a beautiful Victorian cemetery with rolling hills, carefully landscaped grounds, family mausoleums and towering monuments carved into angels, obelisks and other types of statuary. Originally, Americans buried their dead in a churchyard, sometimes in the middle of town. In rural areas, people were often buried on the farm in a piece of land adjacent to the house. With population growth and the many diseases that ran rampant, such as cholera and the flu epidemic of the early 20th century, a burial in nothing but a wooden box was not safe. As cemeteries began to fill up, coffins were placed on top of each other, making the ground so weak that storms would wash the dead out of the cemetery, and into the road. Burial grounds were relocated or started outside of the town beginning in the 1830s. I did not know that. People usually died at home. The body was laid out in the parlor where the funeral was held. In England, the body was kept in a bedroom for nearly a week wow if a holiday was coming soon the room would often be decorated to reflect the season many victorians had family pictures taken with the body propped up as if the deceased was alive these were most common with children and i am looking at the most horrifying photograph which i will post a victorian era post-mortem family portrait of parents with their deceased daughter that is wild Before there were parks and museums in large cities, visiting the new park-like cemeteries with a picnic lunch was very popular. Children played among the graves, people walked their dogs and families, got together for birthdays and other holidays, including the deceased family member in the festivities. No one felt this was in any way disrespectful. Rules were posted as to what could or could not be done, and everyone had a great time. Some headstones were small with only a name and date, but they varied all the way up to 15 to 20 foot sculptures with symbolic icons carved into the stone. An anchor with a broken chain symbolizes the end of life. A broken column stands for a life cut short. A dove represents the transport of the deceased souls to heaven. Candles symbolize the spirit or the soul. A weeping willow tree stands for sorrow, and a hand with a finger pointing upward symbolizes the path to heaven organization symbols such as masonic eastern star woodsmen odd fellows and shriners were and still are found on headstones in the 1800s most tombstones were made from sandstone which is which does not hold well hold up well over the years. There was a short fad of using zinc and mostly granite it, that's used now. In the American Southwest simple wood crosses are often used as weather is the most agre- as the weather is more agreeable for maintaining homemade markers. Different cemeteries have different rules. Some allow only flat markers so as not to mar the view, but these have had a habit of sinking into the ground if not properly maintained. Within the past few years, granite markers have been lasered to etch a photo onto the stone. There are also custom grave markers made in the shape of motorcycles, sofas, teddy bears, benches, pianos, and even automobiles. Large mausoleums hold an entire family within the walls. Mausoleums are popular in flood zone areas such as New Orleans, keeping the dead above the ground. In the 21st century, green burials have become popular. The unembalmed deceased is placed in the ground in a simple wooden or cardboard box and is allowed to return to nature. Another new feature is a computerized chip on the headstone that will allow, that will allow a visitor to look up the deceased and find a biography, pictures, and other information. There are companies that will turn cremated ashes into a vinyl record. What I didn't know that. A diamond or many other strange things. Burials at sea still take place, especially for cremated ashes. Cemeteries are no longer used for recreation, and many have come to regard children playing in a cemetery as disrespectful. Cemeteries have become creepy places and are rarely visited, except by family members or vandals. Some are abandoned altogether. Um So... That actually brings us to like, what happens if a cemetery goes under? And there was a video that I uh, came upon in this article that I thought might be interesting to, to go ahead and play. So I invite you to um, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Um, this is from the uh, the, sorry, the YouTube channel called Today I Found Out. And the title is, What Happens If a Cemetery Goes Under?
1: Simon Whistler, you're watching the Today I Found our YouTube channel, and in the video today, we're looking at what happens if a cemetery goes under. Cemeteries are just like any other business. They need to make money in order to stay open. However, unlike other businesses, cemeteries, particularly ones in heavily populated areas, can only operate for so long before they run out of their main product, usable space to put bodies in. The people who buy a burial plot generally purchase the land once and then never move out. So how do cemeteries keep themselves from going under and what happens when they run out of money? For starters, one option for extending the life of the cemetery is to use every square inch possible, even many former walkways. For instance, the Karakata Cemetery in Perth, Australia operates a renewal program that creates new burial plots in the narrow spaces between existing graves. For a cemetery that opened in 1899 and is otherwise full up, the renewal program has allowed Karakata Cemetery to stay in business. Without the program, cemetery management claims they would have had to stop accepting new burials in 2004. Another practice used by cemeteries to increase the business lifespan is reusing burial plots. The practice works more like a lease on the burial plot as opposed to a purchase. This sort of thing is common in places like Germany, Australia, and New Zealand. Once the lease is up, the usual practice is to cremate any remains once the occupant has been evicted from their grave. Other cemeteries, such as those managed by the Church of England, use a dig-and-deepen strategy, creating multi-storied graveyards. Workers exhume the remains before reburying them at a greater depth in the same burial plot. This leaves room for another person to be buried above them. Yet another strategy to get around the fact that eventually a cemetery will fill up but still need money to operate is for a portion of the money that people pay for the burial plot to go into a perpetual care fund. Wisely invested, this fund can provide quite a bit of money for the long term, which means the cemetery can then use it to pay groundskeepers to cut the grass, trim any bushes or hedges, and generally maintain the appearance of the cemetery. Many cemeteries are non-profits so avoid needing to pay expensive taxes. However, if the perpetual care fund runs out, or if there never was one to begin with, and if the cemetery is full up with no further way to generate enough revenue to keep the business open, the cemetery may ultimately go bankrupt or otherwise be closed down or abandoned if the process of a foreclosure or a bankruptcy starts the rest of the operations at the cemetery screech to a halt so the maintenance of the grounds the burial of individuals who prepaid for their plots and other day-to-day goings-on stop while the courts and banks work out what will happen next to the business and land families and friends of those who prepaid for their burial end up faced with a difficult decision They can wait for the bankruptcy or foreclosure issue to be resolved, find and purchase a new burial plot elsewhere, or if the courts allow it, hire someone with the machinery to dig the grave in the plot they already paid for. Care of loved ones' graves also falls to them during that time. From here, what happens next varies widely on a case-by-case basis. In the case of a cemetery foreclosure or complete abandonment, sometimes the local municipality will simply take over control and management of the land. In other cases, the current owner of the cemetery, which is no longer economically viable, may seek permission from their local municipality to sell or repurpose the land for commercial or home use. As you might imagine, this is a dicey proposition and the rules governing the legality of this vary greatly from region to region. One place where it can be more of an issue than others is in the United States where burial plot rights are somewhat uniquely generally considered perpetual, including passing on to the relatives of the deceased who have the right to visit and maintain the gravesite of their loved one whenever they please and potentially for all of time. If someone were to, for instance, buy the property and build a house or houses over the graveyard, that would potentially infringe upon that right. However, the courts may decide that the relatives had previously abandoned the particular grave or may otherwise decide to grant a sale or repurposing of the land anyway. For instance, it may be decided that it's in the best interests of a given community to grant such permission, despite any objections from those who have loved ones buried in the cemetery in question. So in the end, repurposing land that was once an active graveyard usually requires jumping over a lot of legal hurdles. To get approval, the municipality may require as part of a sale or repurposing agreement that all the graves be moved to another suitable location first. However, if the graveyard has been fully abandoned by everyone, including all the descendants of those buried there and is not considered a historic gravesite, the courts may grant the right for the owner of the property to sell or use the property for other things like a subdivision without needing to remove the bodies. In these cases, it generally falls to the relatives of the deceased to move the remains before construction starts if they so choose. All that said, as you might imagine, particularly in cases where houses are being built over former cemeteries, the real estate investors purchasing the land may well simply pay to have the graves moved first, as leaving the bodies often significantly cuts down on the ultimate sale prices of the homes built on top of them. So I really hope you found that video interesting. If you did, please give us a like below and don't forget to subscribe. There's a button below as well as on the screen now
0: friends welcome back so I have a couple really fun things to talk about related to all of this the first is um, from Hudson Valley Magazine, HVMag.com. Uh, they did an article that says more than 70 cemeteries, colleges, historic sites, hotels, and restaurants around the Hudson Valley that have a haunting history. And the cemeteries is a short list of about 10, I think 9 or 10. And I just wanted to, to read that list off in case you wanted to do any research or look into them or, or visit them. I knew about half of them. The first, of course, is the big one, Albany Rural Cemetery, that we're all familiar with locally. The next is Evergreen Cemetery in Winanskill, which I did not know about. Forest Park or Pinewood Cemetery in Brunswick, which does have a super haunted history, spooky history, and lore associated with it. There's Montrepose Cemetery in Kingston, Oakland Cemetery in Yonkers, Oxford Depot Cemetery in Chester, Poughkeepsie Rural Cemetery in Poughkeepsie, Sparta Cemetery in Scarborough, and of course Vale Cemetery in Schenectady. Um, so then, the next thing I wanted to talk about was the the seventeen. I just wanted to list because we're going to get into some of them, but there are. I I was like. I didn't realize there were so many different types of cemeteries. So 17 different types of cemeteries, and we're going to talk about what they are. So the main type uh, types of cemeteries in the United States, we've gotten a list of 17 different kinds. The first is public or private cemeteries. And um, basically, before exploring more unique examples, you may want to first learn about the basic differences between a public and a private cemetery. A local government funds and maintains a public cemetery. On the other hand, as the name implies, a private entity company organization will own and manage a private cemetery. Neither option is better than the other. Each offers its own advantages. For instance, burying someone in a public cemetery usually costs less. On the other hand, a private cemetery will offer more options and amenities and services. The second is a green cemeteries and they've become increasingly widespread as more and more people have become to recognize the importance of limiting their carbon footprints. Green cemeteries offer a relatively new option compared to many other types of cemeteries. You might Confuse green cemeteries with natural cemeteries. Natural cemeteries may offer the same benefits without an official certification. In general, green cemeteries allow people to bury loved ones with minimal environmental impact. For example, a green burial may include a biodegradable casket or urn. A VA cemetery is the next one. The U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs manages cemeteries specifically for veterans and those who died who are still active members of the armed forces. In some instances, the close loved ones of a veteran may also qualify for a burial in the VA cemetery. And we all know the Saratoga National Historic uh, National Cemetery um, up past like Stillwater, Schuylerville area. Um, which is actually where my brother is buried. And we have one other family member going in there. And um, my brother was not in the military, but the family member who is going in there is. And so, by association, uh, my brother, who unfortunately passed uh, before this person in his uh, early 20s, he has been there. And so, um, it's interesting because yeah, he's, he wasn't in the military. So, um, the next is a religious cemetery. Some religious organizations run their own cemeteries. Naturally, those who qualify for burial in such cemeteries usually have been, must have been an active follower of the applicable religion, but this isn't always the case. Different religious organizations enforce different restrictions. The next is an urban cemetery. Many urban cemeteries with high population density have minimal open space and insufficient space to bury the dead. Some urban cemeteries address the problem by burying people in layers on top of each other. The next one is monumental cemeteries, and that is what may be what most Americans picture when they think of a cemetery or graveyard. These types of cemeteries consist of tombstones and similar monuments making the burial sites of the dead, marking the burial sites of the dead. To serve those who can't afford expensive funerals, these cemeteries may also have a section for flat grave markers. The next are family cemeteries. Family cemeteries aren't nearly as common in the U.S. as they once were ages ago. However, in rare instances, some people still choose to bury loved ones in family cemeteries. They involve family-owned burial grounds for, ver- for the various generations of a specific family. These days, they tend to be a luxury. In the past, they function as a practical response to a common problem. When early American settlers started new towns, cemeteries were not yet established, so they would set aside some of their own land for burying their family members. A family plot may now serve as a more common modern alternative to a family cemetery. This is a section of a cemetery reserved for a specific family. The next one is called the Columbarium Walls. A columbarium wall may not technically qualify as a type of cemetery, but it may include a feature of a cemetery. Cremation offers an increasingly popular means of disposing of someone's remains. After cremating a loved one, some families choose to keep their deceased loved one's remains in an urn in their homes. They may also scatter the ashes. Family members may also elect to store an urn in a columbarium. It's a small nook or indent in a wall with a space for an urn. Sometimes cemeteries feature or consist of or consist of large walls filled with these nooks the next is a mem- are memorial parks a memorial park offers another popular alternative to a monumental cemetery for various reasons Maintaining the numerous monuments and headstones that can accumulate in a monumental cemetery can bring challenges. Some people feel that over time, when different styles of monuments end up cramped together in one small space, a monumental cemetery can become unsightly. Such people often choose to bury loved ones in memorial parks instead. A memorial park substitutes lawn-level memorials in place of larger monuments. This allows the grounds to more closely resemble a scenic park. It also reduces maintenance needs, which in which can in turn reduce costs. The next are garden cemeteries. They're like memorial parks, and they exist at least in part to preserve a cemetery's aesthetic value. Although the look of a garden cemetery can vary on a case-by-case basis, in general, garden cemetery designers strive to incorporate the natural features of a garden seamlessly into the burial grounds. The next are graveyards. You may assume a graveyard is the same as a general cemetery. Many people use the words interchangeably now. However, a graveyard is actually its own type of cemetery. Graveyards are usually relatively small and part of a church or a similar property. The next are prison cemeteries. The way prisons handle inmate deaths varied depending upon the range of factors and circumstances. Some prisons have cemeteries for inmates who died behind bars with no funds for a traditional burial. The next are mausoleums. Like columbarium walls, mausoleums may be independent cemeteries, but are often parts of larger cemeteries in general. A mausoleum is usually a relatively small, though not always, building with spaces for storing the dead in the walls. Like a family plot, a family can set aside a mausoleum or a section of one just for their family members. The next is urn cemeteries. Although some traditional cemeteries simply have spaces set aside for burying someone's urn or cremains, some cemeteries exclusively serve this purpose. And then the next are terraced cemeteries. Terraced cemeteries aren't necessarily unheard of in the U.S., however, they're far more common in countries and regions where lack of space has made them a necessity. Consider Hong Kong's terrace cemeteries. Because Hong Kong didn't have enough land to allow for many traditional cemeteries, designers have carved tiers into areas of the nearby mountainsides, optimizing them for burial space. The next one is apartment style cemeteries. This type of cemetery has become increasingly common in parts of the world where space for traditional cemeteries is limited. From the outside, these types of cemeteries often resemble uh, typical apartment buildings. Inside, however, they consist of several stories of slots or small rooms to house the dead. These new cemeteries are also more common in areas where both lack of space and religious or cultural influences play a role in how people choose to put the dead to rest. For example, these cemeteries have become somewhat popular in Israel because cremation is taboo in the Jewish faith. The the next and last are catacombs. Although catacombs aren't in wide use anymore, catacombs from previous ages still exist throughout the world. They are underground cemeteries that can span for miles. As with many of the examples on the list, they also served a practical purpose. For instance, by the 17th century, Paris's cemeteries were nearly overflowing with the buried dead. Along with taking up limited space, the corpses were crowded so much that this practice often resulted in unpleasant odors and health risks. To solve the problem, problem, Parisians began entombing the dead in catacombs beneath the city. It's worth noting that the U.S. has catacombs. For example, a much smaller underground burial chamber exists beneath St. Patrick's Old Cathedral in New York City, but has not been common in the U.S. I did not know that was under under St. Patrick's. Uh, So that's, yeah, that's crazy. Um, So the next thing I wanted to just talk about was uh, garden cemeteries um, and how they were among uh, America's first urban parks. So this is uh, from an article from National Geographic, and it says, from Portland to Philadelphia, here are 10 historic cemeteries to see before you die. Garden cemeteries were among the first public parks in the United States long before today's sprawling grid-like memorial parks were the norm burial grounds were carefully designed in green spaces as welcoming to the living as they were to the dead consistent with their purpose of encouraging meditative moments these parks are defined by manicured landscapes elaborate sculptures and winding walkways these scenic style, this scenic style emerged in the early 19th century when overcrowding in small urban burial grounds was linked to outbreaks of diseases including typhoid fever and cholera 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 the victorian era's high mortality rates meant that death was a familiar part of most people's lives creating a romantic culture of mourning a more welcoming pastoral style of cemetery fit right in with this accepting attitude towards death Drawing picnickers and nature lovers, garden cemeteries were popular enough to inspire the introduction of modern-day urban parks. Eventually, burial grounds in the United States became more basic and unornamented, more removed from people's daily lives, and um, the original garden cemeteries still survive as urban oases and as portals into history. So... We have uh, just a short list, which is Mountain View Cemetery in California, Hollywood Forever Cemetery in California. Um, I don't know where necessarily all of these actually are, like which city, because it's a map. There's Evergreen Cemetery. Um, let me see if I can click on them. Nope. Spring Grove Cemetery, Oakland Cemetery, Congressional Cemetery, Greenwood Cemetery, and Bonaventure Cemetery. Um, So Evergreen Cemetery is the closest to us. And I think that was on the list um, that I uh, listed earlier. Um, And then the one I've been to is Bonaventure Cemetery a few years ago, being down in Savannah. And that was absolutely the most, one of, I would say the most stunning, one of the most stunning uh, cemeteries I've ever been to. It was wild. We spent a good amount of time wandering around there and yeah, the monuments were just incredible. Um, so I will actually, I actually had an episode planned that was strictly for Savannah and everything from my trip down there because that was overwhelming. Um, and I was going to cover Bonaventure in that. So, um, hopefully I'll end up talking about that but I'll post some pictures of that also so um definitely check out these cemeteries if you haven't and um yeah just the other thing is just the idea of picnicking remembering when Americans picnicked in cemetery for a time eating and relaxing among the dead was considered a national pastime um Within the wrought iron walls of American cemeteries, beneath the shade of oak trees and tomb stoic penumbras, um, you could say many people rest in peace. However, not so long ago, people of the still breathing sort gathered in graveyards to rest and dine in peace. And um, it's so crazy because there's pictures of just it just looks like parties. During the 19th century, especially in its later years, snacking in cemeteries happened across the United States. it's so crazy to me it wasn't just apple munching along the winding avenues of graveyards since many municipalities still lacked proper recreational areas many people had full-blown picnics in their local cemeteries the tombstone laden fields were the closest thing to modern day public public parks and there's a picture of the woodland cemetery in dayton ohio and it's just crazy so i will post this there's so many people they're dressed so fancy there's horses and carriages like it's wild um in that cemetery for instance victorian-era women wielded parasols as they promenaded through mass assemblages um, en route to luncheon with their family lots meanwhile new yorkers strolled through saint paul's church grave churchyard in lower manhattan bearing baskets filled with fruit ginger snaps and beef sandwiches one of the reasons why eating in cemeteries became a fad as some reporters called it is uh It was that epidemics were raging across the country. Um, Children passed away before turning 10. Women died during childbirth. Death was a constant visitor for many families. And in cemeteries, people could talk and break bread with those family members, both living and deceased. Um, There's a quote, and it says from someone... From someone, and it says we were going to keep Thanksgiving with our father, as though he was a lo- as live and hearty as this day as last year. Explained a young man in 1884 on why his family, mother, brothers, sisters, chose to eat in the cemetery. We've brought something to eat and a spirit lamp to boil coffee. The picnic and relaxation trend can also be understood as the flowering of the rural cemetery movement. Whereas American and European graveyards had long been austere places on church grounds full of memento mori and reminders not to sin, the new cemeteries were located outside of the city centers and designed like gardens for relaxation and beauty. Flower motifs replaced skulls and crossbones and the public was welcome to enjoy the ground. Eating in graveyards had and still has historical precedent. People picnic ap- among the dead across the world, from Guatemala to parts of Greece, and similar traditions involving meals with ancestors are common throughout Asia. But plenty of Americans believe that picnics in local cemeteries are, were a gruesome festivity. This critique, notably from older generations, didn't stop young adults from meeting up in graveyards. Instead, it led to a debate over proper conduct. In some parts of the country, such as Denver, the congregations of grave picnickers grew to such numbers that police intervention was even considered. The cemeteries were becoming littered with garbage, which was seen as an affront to their sanctity. In one report about these messy gatherings, the author wrote, thousands strew the grounds with sardines cans, beer bottles, and lunch boxes. Though the macabre picnics were considered nuances in some communities, they did give a participants a sort of admired air one reporter lauded the fact that the picnickers looked happy under discouraging circumstances and even said it was a trait worthy of cultivation the fad of casual plain on air dining among the Crips would soon come to an end though Cemetery picnics remained peripheral cultural staples in the early 20th century however they began to wane in popularity by the 1920s. Medical advancements made early deaths less common and public parks were sprouting across the nation. It was a recipe for less interesting dining venues. Today, more than 100 years since the Americans debated the trend, you'd be hard-pressed to find many cemeteries, especially those in big cities with policies or available land that allow for picnics. Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn, for example, has an explicit no-picnicking rule. But the fad isn't entirely dead in the United States. The country's immigrant population includes communities carrying on tradition that calls for meals with departed loved ones, and cemeteries will hold occasional public events in the spirit of an earlier era. There are still scattered graveyards where you can picnic among tombstones too, particularly if you know someone with a sizable family lot. In those cases, all you need... Is a picnic basket filled with treats, and uh, you your undaunted you and your undaunted party can partake in an old American tradition. Just remember to clean up after yourselves the penalties for doing otherwise may be grave. <laughs> so super interesting the idea of just like the history of eating in a cemetery is so crazy so I thought that was fun to cover and then we're going to round it up with um just from Albany Rural Cemetery's website they have a short thing on their history and I just thought it was um just would be fun to note just a few fun facts so the Albany Rural Cemetery covers 467 acres of land and it's just north of Albany it's listed on the National Register of Historic Places and is is an exemplar of the rural cemetery movement expressed through rolling landscaped terrain with classical monuments that gave visitors a sense of visiting a garden park. And founded in 1841, the ARC um, was one of the earliest rural cemeteries in the United States, following Mount Auburn in 1831, Laurel Hill in Philadelphia in 1836, and Greenwood in Brooklyn, New York in 1838, Mount Hope in Rochester in 1838, and Green Mount in Baltimore, Maryland in 1838. Albany Rural Cemetery was designed by Major David Bates Douglas, who also designed Greenwood in Brooklyn, as well as other cemeteries in the U.S. and Canada. Um, And so... Yeah, so like most rural cemeteries following its first burials in 1845, the Albany Rural Cemetery became a very popular destination for family members of the deceased as well as visitors and tourists from around the world. During this time uh, period, public parks just didn't exist and rural cemeteries such as Albany Rural became the place for people in the city to escape to a more natural surroundings for a weekend picnic with the family postcards and stereo view pictures of the cemetery highlight the fact that it was a destination for travelers in the late excuse me 1800s and early 1900s as well as a tranquil resting place for the deceased so so much information i just didn't realize was a thing and and just learning about the differences and how many different types of cemeteries there are um, yeah learning about um the the eating in the cemeteries and why it changed from the way it was I'll definitely be posting some pictures cuz these are really really wild to look at um and I just wanted to give credit to the vintage news um uh Hudson Valley magazine Um, joincake.com is where I got the different types of cemetery, National Geographic, Atlas Obscura, and of course, Albany Rural Cemetery, um, for all of the awesome information. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, fun episode on a topic that I've been wanting to do for a while. And uh, stay tuned. I've got some cool things upcoming to talk about. And if you have any um, topics that you want me to delve into, just shoot us an email at uh, thehaunted518 at gmail.com or we're haunted518podcast on Instagram. And yeah, on that note, cheers happy haunting and uh and have a great week